If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and today we're featuring conversations about raising resilient kids based on the video series of the same name. It's a partnership between Nemours Children's Health and the Michael Phelps Foundation and features the most decorated Olympian of all time and his wife, Nicole, as your hosts. Together, they talk with Nemours experts about the world's hardest job— being a parent. Nicole and Michael are the parents of three young sons and are facing the same concerns and challenges that all parents do when it comes to helping our kids grow to be healthy, happy, and resilient. In our first segment, Michael and Nicole talk with Nemours child and adolescent psychologist Dr. Roger Harrison, who explains how parents can cultivate empathy early in childhood and how to help kids handle disappointments and share their feelings. Nicole Phelps gets us started. As parents, teaching our kids to share and think of others is really important. Obviously, we do that a lot in this household with three little boys. Um, So sometimes it can be really difficult for us to get our oldest, our middle, to understand how they are affecting the baby or vice versa. Um, So we're hoping that you can help us understand how we can help them to understand those feelings. Ooh, absolutely. It is fascinating because when we are born into this world, we come into this world particularly cued in to the feelings, to the thoughts, and to the needs of one person. That person happens to be me. And when we're very young, not only am I cued in to my own emotions, my own thoughts, and my own needs, but When those needs come into conflict with someone else's needs, my brain doesn't even have a strong ability to consider their needs and my needs. The good news is that these are developmental stages. Uh, We can't avoid them, but we grow out of them. And there are certainly a number of things that parents can do to nurture the, the sharing instinct, to nurture the kindness towards other instinct. Notice when kids are sharing, when kids are giving. And point that out to them when we use like specific praise to say, I love the way that you are sharing. I love the way that you're kind to your, your, your brother, as opposed to finding the times when they're not sharing to say, why don't you or you should? Uh, so for parents, the first suggestion that I would give is, um, use the power that you have as a parent to bring attention to those moments when your child is being kind, when your child is sharing. When your child is engaging in any of those pro-social behaviors that we want them to do more of. For example, yesterday, Beckett, our middle son, who's three years old, Maverick, our youngest son, who's two, had something of Beckett. So Beckett screamed at him. And, you know, so there's no empathy there. So you're like, okay, wait a minute. Don't be so mean. Don't yell. Because how do you want to be talked to? But how do you, when you're in those moments, it's like, I can't 
tell Beckett you're doing something wrong because Maverick's doing something wrong in Beckett's eyes. So how do you work through that, that web? So a three-year-old, uh, often the instinct of a parent might be to let's go into like a teaching opportunity or a limit setting opportunity, because that is how parents parent. We often move towards let's teach or let's set a limit. But if we explore, for example, questions such as how do you think your brother feels now? And that three-year-old might not be cued into that two-year-old's feelings because right now, again, my brain is wired to think about my own feelings. And Beckett says that. He's like, no, I'm not happy. I want that toy. Yeah. He's like, but that's not your toy. Yeah. That's his toy. He's like, I don't care. I want that now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's exactly what we see every day. Yeah. So I might not do it in that moment. I might do it later on. Uh, okay. when, after after the moment has passed, because in that moment, you might really be focused on limit setting or just solving the problem at hand. But I return to it and go, how do you think your brother felt? Or I might ask questions that elicit empathy, like if this were you, what would you need in that moment? Or what would you think would be, what, what do you think would have been really helpful for you if you were him? There are just certain kinds of key questions that parents can ask that are designed to um, cultivate empathy because we can't actually teach empathy. It is something that must be cultivated over time as brains are developing. So like everything that you just said completely makes sense. Like, I mean, how, how, how do we expect a five-year-old, three-year-old or a two-year-old to be able to understand both of our emotions, right? Like they're trying to survive one step at a time, one day at a time with other brothers or in this brand new world. So yeah, we're asking so much of them. Our emotions can be overwhelming at times. Having three boys, it's wild. When there is a meltdown or they get really upset, how can we take that step back to try to get them back to a neutral level where they can understand their own emotions, they can process them? I think there are three opportunities. If you imagine that emotional meltdown, uh, the way that we imagine a wave, there's a crest and a peak, and then it subsides. There's an opportunity to catch it as it's building. There's the other opportunity to intervene when you're in it at the top riding the waves. And then the third opportunity is actually not as you're going down, but afterwards on the back end of that wave. If we think about the first end, which is catch it before it is at the, uh, the peak, there are a few things that parents can consider at the front end. So at the front end, I might just interrupt if I'm not at the peak and go tell me the story. What is going on? Well, I wanted the ball and they took it from me. And then I can go into that emotion coaching approach, which is like, oh, wow. So you're really upset because you wanted something and, and that really hurt your feelings. So at the peak, it really is about behavior management. If I can remove a child from the source of stress, I'm going to try to remove a child from the source of stress. Attention drives a lot of these em emotions. And so I don't want to have a whole lot of conversation. This is not a great time to use words because as I'm becoming activated, the things that are going to come from my mouth are going to be like, you're the worst mom in the world. I hate it here. I don't want to live here. Those are the kinds of irrational things that are going to come. We call that dinosaur brain. And oh, so look at that. So we'll be like, oh no, he's in dinosaur brain. I'm just going to take a step back. When I'm having a conversation with an alligator, we're not going to go too far because I might be trying to reason like, hello, Mr. Alligator, could we maybe talk about this? And it's like, yeah, no, I just want to chomp at your head. And 
I, I really want to limit the interactions uh, with alligators. I have to remove my child from the source of stress. And sometimes that's simply using like a time away strategy, a cool down strategy, or a timeout strategy. If some rule has been violated, if there's been aggression, or if my child is in the middle of a tantrum where I can no longer reach them because they're no longer rational. But later on in the day or in the evening, a child is much more likely to say, well, I think the next time I can come to you and review and go, what do you think went wrong? What do you think did not work well? What, what did you want to happen? All the time, again, validating, not because I agree with it, but because I'm communicating that I'm understanding the emotions that underlie whatever was happening. I mean, yeah, like, so like in the moment, like, if they're out, like, I don't want to say, I don't, I don't like saying out of control, but like when they are just kind of really, truly having a meltdown and won't calm down, you just let them go, right? You kind of just let them go until they calm down. So again, think of the wave. If we're at the peak and it is clear to me as a parent that I am not reaching you with my words, I actually don't want to sustain an interaction. Uh, and so we want to limit the amount of time that we spend. It's also communicating another message that says, I really want to talk to you. And when we can't have a conversation, we have to separate briefly uh, so that we can settle ourselves. And then when we're settled, we get together and we'll solve the issue. We'll talk about the problem. Hey, so I didn't even know I was doing that naturally. That's what I do. That's, that's one of my things. Like when I feel like I'm in, you know, or I'm going out of control, like I just need to step away. I just need to go, whether it's come sit in the office, whether it's go, you know, go for a walk into the gym, go shoot a couple of basketballs, just take that quiet time. Michael and Nicole Phelps speaking with Namor's child and adolescent psychologist, Dr. Roger Harrison. Change and disappointment are two other areas where children struggle and parents do their best to help their kids cope. Michael and Nicole spoke about these topics with Nemours pediatric psychologist, Dr. Megan Walls. Again, here's Nicole Phelps. One of the things that I think we often do in this home is attempt to prepare for change. So like mom's going to be gone, dad's going to be gone, new person's coming to the home, something of that nature. How do you prepare your child for change or what are the best practices in making that transition? So preparing your child for change is, first of all, incredibly important. So I love that you're already saying, you guys think about this, this is something you do. The first thing is, I always say, have the conversation ahead of time and really as clearly as you can tell your child what to expect. And that might look like walking through an entire day. You might talk about, hey, you're starting a new school tomorrow. Here's exactly what it looks like. I often also suggest to parents finding a safe person with them. Is it a new school? Is it a new camp? Is it a new nanny? I don't care who it is, but can we meet them ahead of time? Can we have a connection with them? And that goes all the way from our little guys up to our big guys. I have high school patients who are starting ninth grade. And one of my biggest pieces of advice is find a buddy before you go to ninth grade. And so those things are really, really important. But the other piece that I think is really important is keeping your structure as as consistent as you can during those changes, right? So we're not going to both start a new school or move and stop going to bed on time or and not eat our meals. When I think of routines, I think about what is your child used to? How many of those pieces can you possibly keep in place? Because it makes them feel so much more comfortable. And as caregivers, being really understanding that, hey, this might be hard. How can we make it better? How far in advance? Like, is it 
you know, is it the day before? Is it an hour before? Is it a week before? Like, is there a timeline or is that kind of up to you as a family? So I think it depends on two things. One is your child's age, right? So for teenagers, I'm more comfortable telling them earlier or even young adolescents. I think they sometimes need more time to process. They also have relationships outside your house. I don't like to tell young kids too far in advance because either they forget or they end up getting so focused on it they can't move on. And then the other factor I find is what is the change, right? So is the change a move, which is a pretty big change, or is the change, ooh, this time we go to the doctor's office, we're getting a vaccine. That one, you wait until a couple hours before. The move, you know, we have to prepare kids because kids know what's happening. Even if we do not say we're moving in two weeks or dad has to go away for two weeks, they can kind of sense the changes in your house. And so when you start to see that, you want to tell them. And that prevents some of that stress, anxiety. And so the more we can help kids know in a reasonable way, the better off they are. With Booms at an earlier age, he Boomer would get kind of, he would show more emotions and I would travel more. But I think like I dropped him off at school this morning and I was like, all right, dude, like I'll see you tomorrow. Like I'll come in when I get back from my trip. And he was like, yeah, cool. See ya. <laughs> Peace out, dad. <laughs> yes, like no problem. One thing I always notice, I think with Boomer is when he really gets stressed. So he goes 100 miles an hour. There's it's, it's zero to 100 real quick. And, and I guess like how can how can we help deal with stress? How can we help deal with emotions? Like kind of start conversations. One thing which parents love me for saying all the time is get your kid enough sleep. Sleep is the cornerstone of coping and regulation behaviorally, emotionally. And a lot of parents don't realize how much sleep kids need. So our little guys, you know, we all say eight hours of sleep. Those little guys can need up to 11, 12 hours of sleep in those preschool ages. So getting them sleep is incredibly important. But the other thing is being able to tolerate and sit with your kids when they are having those moments. How do we deal with stress? Well, we let them have the experience of their emotion. It is okay to be angry. It is okay to be sad. We can't hit, but it's okay to have those emotions. And then move on to what do we do next? And for some kids, that actually means letting them cry or scream, saying, I'm here, but giving them those 10 minutes. Because when we try to intervene in those moments, as you can imagine as adults, when people try to intervene when you're really angry, it's really difficult. Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly correct. Yeah. So I think those are all ways we can help. And I think in general, as kids get older, coping with stress means having supportive relationships. It means fostering family relationships. It means checking in with your kids. The more quality time we have with your children, the better off they are. Growing up, um, I can remember as a child being disappointed about having to move across country from Colorado to Pennsylvania and just the difficulty of that transition. So what can parents do to help kids cope during tough times like that? I think what's so important about this is I actually view disappointment as this opportunity to help our kids learn. And, you know, when you're talking about moving across the country, there are those big things, but there's the small things too. A friend not asking them to play or you saying no to your kids because they ask for Uh, candy before dinner. And so I think it's a really important learning opportunity. And the first thing is just really to validate it. Like, I understand this is really hard for you. This is really upsetting for you. And to pair that with the support of, and we'll get through it. Let us show you how, or let us teach you. It's okay to let them fail. It's okay for disappointment to happen because then they can get through it. If we never let our kids be disappointed, we're showing them that feeling bad isn't okay, but we're also not able to give them the lessons of sort of how to move forward when they're upset. Right. 
So I'm going to talk about an instant and you can chime in here. Um, we recently, Beckett refused to go to school and it took us days to get him back and comfortable going to school. So where do you draw that line between making them mentally resilient because you're helping them push through and to learn what comes next versus being that parent and recognizing there's a true issue? Because I think there's a very fine line between the both. Absolutely. And our biggest job as parents is to help our kids get through hard times with support. We are not going to throw the kid in the school and run away, right? But I really do encourage parents to think about long term, what's the best? If we let our child stay home from school three days, the fourth is even harder. And so you have to marry these ideas of I'm going to support my child and make a plan together. Let's walk you into school and stay for five minutes the first few days. Mom and dad are here. We love you. You can do it. And having the wherewithal as a parent to say, I know that going is probably best for you. And then to be okay yourself with the disappointment or sadness when that happens too. And it's really important that the messaging is not this was terrible, but instead something happened and we can get you through it. We can actually help you to get through those things. I, I, I like that. I mean, just being able to walk them through it. I think the moment is hard, but then when you take that step back, it just helps you process things in a productive way to be able to get the point across. But what about when they clam up? Like, you know, there's an issue, but they will not talk to you. How do you kind of work through those moments without too much push, but also understanding that probably something does need to be discussed? So as a pediatric psychologist, my favorite word is prevention. And I actually tell parents, even for our little guys, right? Even for our one, two, three-year-olds, the more you talk to them about the little things, the easier it is to talk about the big things. So we're actually setting an example. So let's say it's a small thing and your two-year-old is upset and crying about not being able to do something and you're able to sit down and say, hey, we're going to work through this together and it's okay. Your child walks away feeling better. And now when it's a bigger thing, they feel comfortable telling you. What about when they get in the car from school and you say, how was school? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing. Nothing. They're like, come on. Like... And then you try to ask the question in like a hundred different ways. And they're still like, yeah, we did. We had lunch. And I'm like, yeah, I know you had lunch. Like, yes, it's so, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It absolutely is. Hear. Yeah. And I think there's, so there's two main things I tell families about this for younger kids. I actually say, have a jar of questions you keep on your kitchen table. Things like, what was the best thing you did today? Name one friend you talked to today. What animal did you see today? But for your older kids, it can be more open-ended questions, right? Hey, I know you had that soccer game last night. Who did you sit with? So it's not necessarily yes, no, good, bad, but instead you're actually sort of queuing them up to give those answers. And look, there are times your kids won't, but you keep asking and we keep being supportive parents. And then our kids do open up along the way. And we actually do get to hear more about their lives and more about what might be those triggers to getting upset. Dr. Megan Walls is a pediatric psychologist with Nemours Children's Health and has recently taken on the role of Director of External Affairs for the Delaware Valley region of Nemours. It's always a pleasure to partner with an organization like the Michael Phelps Foundation, whose mission includes promoting healthy, active lives, especially for children. Learn more about their initiatives in mental health and wellness, water safety, and of course, swimming for all by visiting their website, michaelphelpsfoundation.org. We'll put that link in the show notes. Thank you to our production team for their support this time around. 
Che Parker, Cheryl Munn, and Rachel Salas Silverman. Special kudos to Namor's Kira Thiesfeld and the Michael Phelps Foundation for their assistance with production of this episode. The Nemours Champions for Children podcast may be found on Nemours Net and the Nemours Now app and on your favorite podcast app along with your smart speaker. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turners Falls, Massachusetts. On behalf of Dr. Roger Harrison, Dr. Megan Walls, and Nicole and Michael Phelps, I'm Carol Vassar, and we thank you for joining us for this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you for what you do for the children and families we serve.